0: Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? you
1: will be the baby of the year.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. It's episode 30-something. I didn't really look before. We're just going to go off the rails for this episode. I'm your host, Jake Brand. I've got the regulars alongside me. We're supposed to be in person tonight, but we're actually trying out some new recording software. So hopefully the audio quality is a little better than normal when we're over the computer. Joining me from Cedar Falls, we've got Ben Neeson fresh off of a new haircut. How are you, Ben? (laughs) Uh,
1: My head feels so much lighter. I, I can't wait to talk more in depth about movies and TV shows.
0: Also with us today, we've got a... Special guest that we're going to use our special fancy button for. Let's see who it is. Friend of the program. A film nerd. Please join us in welcoming the newest survivor of the Turbo Team podcast. Welcome Ryan Stivers from Around the Corn to the program. Ryan and I know each other back from our Wide Right and Natty Light days infamously getting Fran for on our podcast Ryan joining us from Omaha how are you
2: I'm good Jake it's exciting to be here uh two-thirds of the recycle on this podcast I couldn't ask for a better time I don't know what uh Sean's particulars are on movies but we might have to unite for one someday
0: oh man that'd be that'd be something <laughs> well it Ryan, if you want to take us through a little bit, we've got some special news for, I guess, the Turbo Team listeners and also the Around the Corn listeners. Ryan, do you want to take us through a little, some of those details about that?
2: Yeah, so what we have kind of decided here to do is a little bit of a partnership deal between not only our site and our podcast, but also with the Turbo Team guys Uh, We're going to do hopefully a few crossover things here and there. Uh, The sponsorship deal with Thrive Fantasy Sports also involved here for your listeners too. So any guys who are really big into DFS, you know, daily fantasy sports or eSports gaming, check out the Thrive Fantasy Sports app. Use promo code AROUND when signing up and you will get a free deposit match of up to $50 on your first deposit. So if you use that promo code around, you will get a free promo match up to $50 by using promo code around. So hopefully this is the first of many things to come with you guys, you know?
3: Yeah.
0: I just want to add, we've got uh super fan, Nate magic, huge sports gamble. Okay. Cool.
2: <laughs> okay. Perfect.
0: <laughs> just kidding. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that knows what a touchdown is, but anyway, <laughs> thank you, Ryan. Uh, we're coming on the podcast. Just
2: absolutely. glad to have you I'm here. I'm excited to get to talk. Uh,
0: him. Uh, I, forgot to, I forgot to introduce him, but we've also got Alex Powell here joining us. Alex, how are you?
3: Hey. doing well. I cut out there for a second, but I'm back.
0: Yeah, we, we took it in stride, absolutely.
3: So, As we always do.
0: So, I'm in a group chat with Ryan, and we were just talking about movies and TV shows, and the show Sharp Objects on HBO directed by Gene Mark Vallee, starring Amy Adams, Eliza Scanlon, Patricia Clarkson, and Chrisman Messina, uh, came up, and I was under the impression that Ryan actually loved the show, and I came later to find out that he actually feels very similar about it that I do. But anyways, here we are. We're going to be reviewing Sharp Objects, an HBO original miniseries. First impressions, we'll get to after Ben takes us through his synopsis. Ben, is your synopsis going to be on uh, Off the Dome today or from Google?
1: It's going to be from Google, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, I'll fill you in just the same. Sharp Objects follows Amy Adams as reporter Camille Preaker, who returns to her small hometown to investigate mysterious unsolved crimes. Two girls are missing, one of whom was found dead and presumed murdered. As she searches for clues, Camille re- reunites with her estranged family, overbearing mother Adora, stepfather Alan, and half-sister Emma, which rekindles traumatic childhood memories, including the death of her younger sister. Piecing together a psychological puzzle from her past, Camille begins to identify with the young victims a bit too closely.
0: Thank you, Ben. Just, just beautiful as always. So, yeah, we're going to hand it off to the guest first. Ryan, you've seen this before. This was your second time viewing. Mm-hmm. What is your impression while watching the show second time as a review?
2: So, I would say what happened to me on my first watch, and I think it's kind of one of the complaints that you and I talked about. So, I should say this. When I first started watching it, I got two episodes in. I was like, it's fine. It doesn't really scratch kind of the true detective itch that I'm looking for, which I have a point on that later on. But it kind of gave me a little bit of those vibes. didn't really hit the spot for me. I watched the two episodes, never went back to it. Then about a month and a half, two months ago, I was just kind of scrolling through HBO Max trying to find something to find. I was like, ah, you know, I'll give Sharp Objects a second try here. So I watched the first two episodes, and I was like, wow, this is a lot better than I, I kind of remember it being. And then I powered through, I think it's eight episodes, if I remember correctly. And I think I powered through all eight episodes in about a 14 hour clip because I was just like, I can't stop watching this despite some of the problems that I have with the program because it was actually a lot better um, when I gave it a second chance for some reason. And then obviously watching it for the second time in its entirety, I was like, wow, this is actually a lot better than I remember.
0: Yeah, so some of those problems that you allude to, I guess we normally do what I like first, so I guess I'll go with that before I trash on it. I, <laughs> As you can expect with an HBO show, uh, it was very beautifully shot. Uh, everything about it looked cool. They made like small-town Missouri seem almost like a cult, which we'll get into that, but <laughs> I really liked the last two episodes. And mainly in part, just because when Emma, the little sister, was wearing the flower hat, all I could think of was Midsummer. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Like, the house itself just kind of felt like Sweden, and it felt like a cult. And I thought that that was really good. And also, if we're drawing it to comparisons of who directed Midsummer again, I'm blanking on the name.
3: Ari uh, this- Ari yeah. Esther, yeah. Esther.
0: If we're drawing comparisons to another Ariester movie, uh, The Mom from <laughs> sharp objects seem like identical to the mom from hereditary also from mm-hmm. i'm thinking of ending things so there were a lot of comparisons that i drew from that but i liked the last two episodes mainly because i thought that it focused on like what the show did best which was the relationship of amy adams and her younger sister emma and it also focused on like actually solving the crime, which I feel like they went away from like in the middle part of the season. So I really liked those last two episodes. And also another thing that I did relating it back to the cinematography, the show was very like dark. It was very dimly shot and I've been watching it like during the day. So I've had really bad glare from my window. And for the last two episodes, I put up a bed sheet over my window and it looked a lot better. So... <laughs> Life hacks there. I would
2: definitely, yeah, I would agree (laughs) with that. The one thing thing that it definitely kind of, it it kind of suffered from the night of problems a little bit. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that miniseries too, but it suffered from like kind of a plot that you could have wrapped up in like four and a half, five episodes, but you decided to give three more episodes of filler that were like kind of unnecessary and made it feel a little bit bloated And so this felt like kind of a series at points where the highs were absolutely amazing, but the lows to it were really fatty and just kind of like left you feeling a little bit like, it's like eating potato chips, you know, you eat a whole bag and you're like, well, why did I just do that? Because I'm not full. I didn't get anything out of this, but it was still good.
0: It's a beautiful comparison. Uh, Ben, (laughs) what were your initial thoughts? This was your first time viewing, correct?
1: Yes, this was my first time viewing it. Um, sort of like you said, Ryan, about trying to scratch that True Detective itch. Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as I turned it on, like, I just recognized immediately that it had that sort of HBO, I don't know, haze that shows, like, True Detective, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, The Outsider Mm -hmm. has, and I think a lot of that was done with, like, obviously the dark and... Not necessarily melancholy, but just overall dark haze that the entire show has. And that does with that comes across with the graphic imagery, um, the really unique camera work. And Alex, I don't know. Uh, you're the coloring guy. So like, what do you think about the coloring? Because when I was watching it, I noticed that the coloring was sort of flat, but it wasn't dull.
3: I like, thought... All the colors
1: were matte, even.
3: Yeah, so I think the coloring... I. I... Nothing really stood out like you see from a an HBO show. I think the comparison to True Detective, as far as like season one, I think they're very similarly colored. The green to me, the greens really stand out a lot. Um, right. Obviously, like the cover of the show, it's green, so I think that's kind of the main color they want. It's kind of a green, sometimes yellow, but yeah, there isn't a really a ton of brightness to it. It feels very much like the plot, very you know muted in a way where like nothing like. I think the most color you get for it is the Calhoun Festival, that episode, because that's the most when the town's really alive and everyone's kind of coming together for this thing. And as the Calhoun Festival goes on, you know, it feels you really get a sense of that kind of muted color coming back because the story's getting a little bit darker, you know, and the town's really getting back to its old ways of everyone kind of seeming seeming like they're hiding secrets from everyone, you know, so... I thought the coloring very, very, was very muted. Yeah, it did nothing really stood out. Uh, I know we kind of compared it to Midsummer a bit earlier, where I think Midsummer is like a really brightly colored film, just because uh, on the, they want you to get that feeling on the surface where oh everything's okay, and then the deeper you dig, the darker it gets. You know, compared to sharper objects, where it is very muted and there's not really a whole lot of hope they want you to see because it's a really like, like amy adams the main protagonist is like a deeply you know haunted character with a, a past that you know sticks with her every time every day so like i think they're trying to portray the look of the show through amy adams's eyes and so you know there's not a whole lot of color in the world because you know she is so you know depressed and haunted by these past demons so
1: <laughs> yeah but getting back to my opinions on yeah. the show girl- Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah the production was really well done I thought the performances were all solid across the board there wasn't anything that I had a real problem with outside of which and then this is like my biggest negative is the writing just in my opinion just because I felt like a lot of the characters were either just way too overstated they me, personally, I didn't see a whole lot of complexity, I guess, with some of them. And as soon as the finale comes around, like I feel like that payoff didn't necessarily hit as hard because it wasn't necessarily as invested or have the depth that I felt that it had the
3: possibility of having. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but I, was really surprised. I agree with what you said about it kind of being a weak script. Uh, I was surprised, though. So Sharp Objects comes from a book which was written by the same lady that wrote the book Gone Girl. And Gone Girl is such a deeply constructed like plot and story, which is so well written. So obviously, she, I don't think she fully wrote the script for this, but I was still surprised that it seemed like the material wasn't, you know, it wasn't a really uh, plot that like kind of caught me, you know, as far as the story goes, I guess.
2: I would point that more towards, because I, I believe, if I remember correctly, that it was Gillian Flynn's first novel. So I wonder if that plays more part into it and maybe, like you said, it being a weaker kind of plot line, you know, Mm -hmm. that first novel may not be as fleshed out and it may not be as, you know, fully developed as, you know, something when you have your second go with Gone Girl. So Mm -hmm. I wonder if that maybe played a part into kind of, I guess, the kind of transpondence from,
3: you know, the first book into a script. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah
0: I just figured this came after, but yeah, that that's mm. no. While well, we're on a Gone Girl, just so good.
3: Yes, I
2: uh, I had in here too. This there's one little thing about it that I really like that Amy Adams absolutely nailed, and you know the entire time you kind of watch uh, as you, you see she's sec- essentially you know a functioning alcoholic, and she does this thing when she's driving every single time she pulls up to the bar. It's like she does it so casually and so without effort and just like so locked in every time she pulls into the bar to grab a drink. It's like she's arriving home. Like I don't know, like when you get home from work and you just kind of like pull into a parking spot, whether it's at your house or your apartment complex or what have Mm -hmm. you, and you do it with just such a casual nature, I got that same feeling every single time she pulled into the parking lot at the bar. It just seemed like second nature for her, and like Mm -hmm. that just stuck with me for some reason.
0: Mm. Yeah, and on the flip side, like, whenever she was home, she was very clearly not home.
2: Like, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. it was in her worst nightmare. Like, that's where the majority of the flashbacks would come. Uh, Like, whenever she would look at a room or look out back to the woods where her sister vanished and stuff like that, that's, that's mainly in part uh, whenever she, like, conflicted past trauma is when the trauma came back. So that's a good observation, right. Ryan.
2: I think the one thing that was really interesting about her too was kind of her trauma as a teenager I felt like kind of actually, and this is going to sound odd but I'm trying to find the right way to say it, it seems as though her trauma as a teenager actually sort of helped her be more guarded and more protected and more like resistant to her mother. Whereas like her younger sister didn't experience that same trauma that Annie Adams character did. And so she was like, it felt like she was able to believe what her mom said more and able to buy into the things that her mom was doing with a very oblivious, you know, almost like blinders on. But because of the fact that Amy Adams already was so hardened by her trauma as a teenager, I felt like that was what developed her ability to kind of reject the things that her mom was doing, ultimately finding out, you know, she was suffering from Munchausen by proxy.
3: Yeah. I I so. don't know about you guys. I hated the mom as a character. Yeah. Right <laughs> away. I, just, I hated her, man. I Every time she was on the screen, I was like, get get her off. I don't want to see her. I guess it's a great performance by uh, yes. uh Patricia, Patricia Clarkson. Because mm-hmm. I hated the character, man. She was, like, annoying and, like, she had no redeeming qualities. And she even, like, like even, I think it was, like, the fourth episode or something, like, at the very end, just told Amy Adams, like, yeah, that's why I never loved you. It's like, damn, man. Like, why did you – like, that's so rude, you know?
0: I, I'm telling you, like, this family was – extremely similar to the one that we saw in hereditary with tony collette as the mom like every time like tony collette in this uh, whatever whatever her name is uh patricia clarkson was on the screen like you just hated the whole time and obviously like
3: i didn't hate, i didn't hate tony
1: collette watching hereditary at all
3: i think i think tony collette that was like paranormal though like she was like actually being like possessed and like followed by a demon compared to Patricia Clarkson's character where she's just straight up a terrible person. That's you
1: know? where, you know, where her mother was mean to her. Yeah. <laughs> so she poisons kids, yeah. yeah, yeah her,
3: mom, her mom pinched her when she was sleeping as a child and now she kills her own children.
1: <laughs>
2: it's a it's a pretty big jump up from that. The one thing that struck me about them too is the complicity, or kind of like I guess the compliance that her husband had towards it all. And how mm-hmm. he just seemed very – he it seemed as though he knew exactly what was going on. At least you're almost led to believe that. And he just kind of shrugged his shoulders, put his headphones on, and pretended like it wasn't happening, yeah. which I found yeah. to be very odd. There's no
1: explanation for it, it felt I like. Feel, <laughs> I feel like the whole music thing was literally just a physical representation of him tuning out in a sense.
3: Mm-hmm. Just be like,
1: you know best. This is your area.
3: Well, at the end of like the as it's like the second or third episode, they like hint at he's going to like kill her, like so he's listening to the music and he like it cuts to the shot of like this old like timey guns in there, and then it cuts to him like rolling up his sleeves and then walking in on his wife just laying there, and like a couple scenes before they kind of got in a little bit of an argument, so it almost hints at like he's going to like kill her or something. And then like I I remember watching it, it end it ends on that shot of him like walking in. After they, they just previously caught him looking at this gun. And then, so I watched the second episode, like the episode after, like seeing what happened, and then they just like never addressed it again. So. Do I you think guys know the Riders
2: on the Storm sequence? No. Do, excuse me? I think that was during the Riders on the Storm sequence, what you're talking about when he puts the Door song, the Riders on the Storm. It's like that really yeah, long yeah. musical sequence. Okay. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah sure. yep, yep, yep. See, yeah, we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. Mm hmm.
2: Uh, I don't understand. I mean, I think he was – I don't know if he's just as brainwashed towards it as you find out that Emma is or if he's just kind of given up. I, I don't know. The relationship between the two I felt like definitely was not explored as to, like, why he became so complicit with it all and why he just kind of gave up even trying to protect his own children. It was kind of a very odd move on his part. Not a great look for a dad.
0: Not, not out of the year.
2: No, absolutely not. And the last thing I had that for my likes, I, I don't know if we want to talk about it quite yet. But I felt like that the the last scene, I thought the payoff for that was probably the first time watching it when you don't see that coming is just like one of the greatest like fifteen seconds in television. No, we, history, we can I talk thought. about
0: the ending. We should probably note yeah. that this is a spoiler podcast. But if for some reason you're listening and you, and you haven't. Objects, just skip ahead, like, pray, I don't know, five minutes while we talk about the ending. Uh, Ryan?
2: You should uh, break it down.
0: Yeah, Ryan, you want to break it down for us?
2: Me, okay. Uh, So you get to the end of it. You find out that Patricia Clarkson Clarkson has been poisoning her kids to essentially be sick their whole lives so that she can take care of them. I don't know if it's some deep-seated fear of hers that her children will hate her and they need her. I don't know. It's a very wasn't really dove into enough. It gets to the end of it. They end up, um, the younger sister ends up moving with uh, Amy Adams character. They're restarting their lives and it gets to the end and you find out that the killer all along was actually the younger sister, Emma. And the reveal of it, I don't know the, the whole tooth thing with it, I found to be, An Obsession, like you can kind of like do the whole ivory thing, I guess, with like how obsessed her mom was with the whole ivory flooring. And like there's a lot of analogies to, you know, obviously the title of the show is Sharp Objects. And then with the teeth and everything, when she finds it in the dollhouse and finds out that her sister was the one committing these murders. And it's just such a crazy kind of we just took everything and flipped it on its head here, despite the fact we thought that it was actually Patricia Clarkson killing these girls.
1: Yeah, it, it really shows how far she was going to try and please her mother because that was definitely a theme throughout the entire show was the love of a mother and trying to be the one that she adores the most. And mm-hmm. that came down to when Richard had pointed out that the house has ivory floors and she mm-hmm. went to the point to make ivory floors for her dollhouse. Right. Yeah. Which we assume are probably made out of the teeth of people that she's killed, in my head anyway. And I love the hint that like just a minute beforehand, the uh, mom's, the friend of the mom, the mom's friend is asking where the friend is and she's like, oh, they went missing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then it shows the dollhouse with the ivory floors and then the floors and finished. Like there's still some, (laughs) it still needs some spots to be cleared up, so the work is yeah.
2: still yet to be done almost is kind of the uh, almost like literal metaphor there is that I'm still completing this project for her or whatever, however you want to phrase it.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how did she pull the team out? She was like, what, 16, a 16-year-old 16 girl in the show?
2: yeah i mean she has to be but didn't they talk about that with the detective that it was actually like easier than they thought or i
3: can't remember now i thought he said it was really hard to pull teeth out because i remember i remember at the the end when they're they're thinking it's the mom they find the pliers the sheriff and the detective are talking and they're like well how about the teeth they're like i might have she might have had help from the husband who knows so I thought they said it's like really hard to pull the teeth out, which – if she's supposed to be like a 16, I think she was 20 when they filmed it. But if she's supposed to be like a 16, 17-year-old girl, how does she pull you know, human teeth out even if it is from you know, a girl around the same age? She's strong like a Hulk.
2: Yeah, I would <laughs> assume that you – that's one of those things you kind of just got to like spend belief and just kind of got to be like, all right, we got to like kind of go with it here and just be like she yeah. – that's her thing is like she can pull teeth out in a fit of rage or jealousy. Cause it did seem like that was also another thing was like the jealousy of attention from her also was a driving factor when she felt like anybody was getting more attention than she was. She was kind of like, okay, I have to do something about this right now.
3: Yeah. So, so they can't, so I think originally they were planning on doing at least two seasons. Amy Adams said she didn't want to play this character again. So they canceled season two. Do you think they would have addressed like kind of all these Thing, like these, uh, the teeth pulling, or you know, whatever. Do you think they would have addressed that in the season two and kind of tied these loose ends together, or do you think they're planning on just doing one season all along?
2: Well, I know, no, I know that in the research for this, I know that um, I, I did a little bit of comparison from book to like the TV show adaptation of the two, and I know that in the book that she turns her sister in. And eventually goes and just lives her life like completely devoid of any of her family and like she's finally accepted like her role in the world and kind of where she's at. So I'm curious as to sort of if that if, – I, I don't think you can get a whole season of television of just like her like kind of becoming a more developed person. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: we can't have that many Led Zeppelin montages. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's in. Yeah, exactly. Or her BAC would have just been absolutely out of control by the time the second season rolls around.
1: I also saw mm-hmm. something
0: that she like completely like goes back to the bottle, goes back to the pills, and has to go back mm-hmm. to her. I think it was original family or not original family, like her kind of adopted family. Uh, whoever the. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Her uh, editor? Yeah, her
0: editor, yeah. Kind of her acting father, it seemed like.
2: Mm -hmm. The -hmm. only person that ever really kind of stood by her and only ever really actually supported her seemingly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) At the beginning, he kind of seemed like he was like kind of a dick as the boss, though. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like his first scene or whatever, when he's sending her down. it didn't like give off that impression of that relationship that they have at the end or anything. I do also feel like he himself was also a functioning
2: alcoholic, so I feel like they kind of related to one another in that aspect. <laughs>
0: yeah. A lot of functioning alcoholics in this episode.
2: It They really pressed that home quite a bit. Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the dislikes now, Jake? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been waiting for it, right. it sounds like.
0: My dislikes are just like episodes one through six. Like, I just uh-huh. it could have been slimmed down into probably three episodes but instead they stretched yeah. it out to six and i think that it didn't focus enough on what the most interesting part of the entire story was which was the murder case the murder trial or not the trial but uh the actual investigation i feel like in like episodes three four and five in specific they completely like abandoned that entire storyline and really just focused on Amy Adams relationship with the people around her which which I thought was okay but as Ben mentioned earlier just the weak script kind of made that just drag longer than it needed to and it really lost my interest to the point where like watching a few of those episodes felt like a chore and that's why when episode 7 did roll around and I was actually enjoying it and actually like into the story that's why I enjoyed it a little more but really leading up to that I just thought a lot of it seems super pointless. And I, I felt like that they were kind of just tiptoeing around it when they could have just gotten to the point from the start and made this a five episode series.
2: That was the same complaint I had when I was texting our mutual friend, uh, Dylan about it. And he and I were talking, I was like, I don't find this stuff with her relationships to everybody, all that compelling. I don't know if that's just because the story there isn't that interesting by comparison to finding out who killed these girls But I find a lot of like the Amy Adams stuff in here to be just a lot of fluff. And I know that's an insane thing to say about somebody who is a functioning alcoholic that, you know, carves words into herself, into her body and has like this, you know, very torrid past. But I found it to be very boring for some reason. Just like you said, it just seemed like there were a lot of things that it was like. Okay, we can only handle, as mentioned before, so many Led Zeppelin montages before it's like, okay, we get the point. Like, she's driving around angry and she's making poor decisions. Like, yeah. we don't need to keep hammering this home.
0: And I felt like it repeated the flashbacks so many times to the point where they didn't even matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, we get it. She has past trauma, girl in a white dress, like, her sister died. Like, yeah, it's sad, but when you show it 20, 25 times, probably throughout the entire series, it just kind of loses its luster a little bit and it loses kind of what makes it sad or what makes you have compassion for Amy. And I think.
1: Because you definitely feel empathy for her, but after a little bit and after so many montages or references to the same events, like they're still sad, but you kind of feel a little apathetic towards them. Is it, I would say
2: that's purposeful because it kind of relates to the line that the Cena. um, delivers to her after he catches her in bed with the teenager. And he says, you know, I wanted to feel bad for you, but really you're just a whore who's a drunk or something like that. And you kind of get what he's saying there only from the perspective of the viewer too in that after a while you can only hammer on your past traumas for so long before you actually have to do something about it. And so it's kind of like almost on the nose there, even him just saying that because we, as have mentioned, have already caught on like, okay, we get it. You're using all of this trauma and all these bad things that have happened to you as excuses for these shitty actions, but you're not really doing anything to overcome it. And she doesn't do anything until the very end when she finally decides to take control and is like, all right, we're going to end this right here and now.
1: Yeah, exactly, because that was one of my main problems was that Camille was just such a passive protagonist like the entire show. Mm -hmm. I understand that she's the victim of manipulation and trauma and it's hard to be proactive in some of those situations, but so so many times she was just kind of standing there like closed mouthed while things happened to her and the plot was forced upon her and she just kind of was there while it did.
0: Yeah, I totally feel that. Alex, haven't heard from you much. What were your what were some of your negative reactions to the show?
3: Yeah, I just thought the whole thing was boring. Like I <laughs> I mean the last episode and a half I thought were interesting. So from the point I think it really picked up when they found the bike in the in the lagoon. After that the show kinda of picked up. But from mm-hmm. the point when she sleeps with, you know, the teenager until the very end of the episode where they find the teeth and the dolls. I think that's where it really gets interesting because that's kind of where it regains its focus compared to, I think the show really, like you said, Jake, it really loses its focus from like, probably episode like two through six or whatever, where it's just like trying to tell us like, all right, here's who Camille Preaker is. Here's how terrible her family is. Here's her past drama. Here's some of the quirky townspeople. Oh, they're all hiding something, you know, like it's, it shifts focus a lot. And I told you guys, uh, Jake and Ben, I told you guys this before I even finished it. I think it was on episode six where like, it really just, the show just doesn't feel like it knows what it's trying to like be, I guess. Like it says it's a mystery, but you know, throughout the, throughout the middle portions of the series, you know, they're not really focusing on the mystery. They're focusing on kind of figuring out who Camille Preaker is, what her day to day is, how she interacts with all these different people, you know, and I think I just, it doesn't feel like it was really focusing on the, the, you know, uh, investigative journalism, the crime, the, you know, uh, detective work or whatever the show where, Like Ryan said, to the True Detective, which is one of my favorite shows ever. I actually watched season one of True Detective, which I think is some of the best television ever. Right before I watched this show, and it was a huge drop off because I was expecting kind of the same thing. And here I am learning that you know her mom, her mom's mom was like made her go out in the cold when she and I had like two in the morning when she was like you know thirteen or whatever. It's like okay, but compared to like True Detective, where they hint at Rustin Cole's like dark past and like they acknowledge it. They tell some stories from it. He like describes how, you know, what he's thinking or whatever, but that the main core of it, they're focusing on trying to solve this crime compared to sharp objects where it just doesn't feel like they're trying to solve the crime. It feels like they're trying to like explain, Oh, Camille Preaker, man. She's, she's had a rough life. It's like, okay. Like I could have got that the first episode. Like if you focus one episode on it, okay. Get back to the main point, which is who killed these two girls? But they focused on it so much. And I like you said, I like the flashbacks, I just got tired of seeing. The I got tired of seeing them though, because they would show like five seconds of it and then they wouldn't like they would never show the full event. You know, does that make sense? And that just annoyed me. Did it cut out?
2: I wonder if it would have right, suffered remember, or yeah. if it would have been more improved had they kind of had they kind of gone the uh, the Jaws route and really kind of done more um, show but don't tell, like by keeping the shark from Jaws kind of, you know, hidden for so long and letting you use your imagination and letting you kind of develop this fear. I wonder if it would have benefited more in that aspect, if they would have dialed back how much they showed those flashbacks and just like had Amy Adams' character more hinted them through dialogue and kind of her discussions with other people as opposed to just like explicitly
1: like bashing you over the head with it. Yeah, it's it's show don't tell, and that. Yes. I thought
3: I thought production wise, it was an HBO show, shot well, settings were well, uh, actors were good. I thought Amy Adams was really good in this. Uh, uh, but I did too. I don't think there was really a bad actor in it. Now the relation, I felt the relationship between Amy Adams and the detective was super forced. Like here, like he's never been here before, and she left, but she hates it here, and they kind of bond over how much. They hate this town and also trying to solve this crime. I thought that it felt forced. It doesn't feel like there wasn't any real chemistry there. I don't know if you guys had the same feeling, but it's just oh, no. like,
2: yeah, that it was, was just like, it's too
3: one. easy for these people to kind of almost fall in love in a way. And it, I just wasn't good. But, uh, I don't know. It's a very forgettable show, I think. If I had to, you know, kind of wrap it up.
2: That was one point, that was one point in the book that, you know, in the book, they don't end yeah. up together. No, he leaves yeah. her. Like, after he catches her in bed, he bounces, which I feel like would have yeah. made the show better. Like, it would have made it way more true to probably the actual theme of the show that, you know, all these people are kind of, you know, causing these traumatic things to happen to her. It's like, okay, well, why did we shoehorn in this, you know, kind of love story here when, like, she has a very shitty life and doing that does not help? You know, she, why is she now all of a sudden getting a happy ending here with this?
0: My counter to that is. Would be someone who grew up in a small town in the Midwest. Uh, when two functioning alcoholics break up, they always get back together, no matter what <laughs> happened.
2: That's true. I, I will say that, that that is a very accurate statement on that. You've seen that your whole life, if you grew up in, that ta- in a town like but, that.
0: I agree <laughs> with you, Ryan. I think the show would have been. It, it just would have been more realistic if they literally never heard from the detective again. Yeah.
1: Yes. I think it was. It was mostly just plot driven, probably because Emma needed to go get somebody that Mm -hmm. would care and then come and get her out of the come and get her from her house. Because, I mean, Curry wouldn't have been able to get a police warrant or anything like that. So I think it was solely just for the plot.
2: That's one of those unfortunate things that, yeah, the love story end of it just becomes a plot device as opposed to being, like, kind of earned and, like, they actually did fall for one another. It just becomes, like, convenience of, okay, we need to go to A to B on this. How do we do it? Oh, well, let's we'll just make them fall in love with each other and then he'll care enough, you know, over time to go save her. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. So I also have one question. I disliked uh, the thing about the allusions to the birth, her birth father – and then never expanding on it was my one other big dislike. Yeah,
0: Really, mm-hmm. what I took from that was that her birth father was just a really bad person. And that's... Yeah. That That's all they ever expanded on it.
1: Well, from whose opinion, though? Adora's? Mm-hmm. That's mean, true. I would have... Yeah, I would have thought that that's something that they definitely could have explored instead of... I, w- I don't want to say rehashing, but revisiting specific elements over and over and over again mm-hmm. yeah but it was a missed opportunity to kind of give us a
2: little bit more in depth maybe to as why Dora is the way she is as well because kind mm-hmm. of allusion, alluding back to what you guys said earlier with all we know about her really is that her mom was mean to her and that was it so i wonder if there was more with the actual birth father plot line that may have caused Adora to become this very overbearing and helicopter parent. And if it had something to do with, you know, Camille's actual father, as opposed to her stepfather.
1: Cause she liked to compare Camille to her birth father. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because like they're both had stubborn qualities. I mean, like maybe the father didn't want to go along with the, slowly poisoning of his daughters. (laughs) I mean, it'd be a tough thing to get on board with, you know? I think that's a hard sell if you're a spouse. (laughs) You really got to ease them into it. You can't just let them out on the table. (laughs)
2: You know, you throw, like, some, like, tree nuts out there to see if, like, they're allergic, and you start with, like, hives just to go, you know, from, you know, base one. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) That would be how you go about it.
0: Do we have any parting thoughts on Sharp Objects before we get into our... Rating out of ten.
2: I I don't. I think it's been. Hopefully, we've got something a little bit more exciting here on the back end, at least a oh. little more cheery.
1: I got. I'm just gonna fire through a couple of quick things that I never got to. Uh, <laughs> I I really didn't like Emma and the way that she would completely turn personalities. Like I don't know if she like, was supposed to have bipolar disorder or something but the way that she would just be like an absolute brat one night and then be absolutely needy the other and then oh but now she's also kind of like dangerous and twisted in a sense but like I don't know it it all came off across as all talk because she would just like look mysteriously and then say something ominous and then just go back to being a brat or so on and so forth I wish that would have been more explored with actions instead of direct dialogue and yeah also things like (coughs) like the chief like I don't know if he's just being lazy or if he'll just do anything that Adora says but like it also kind of implied that he knew what was happening but I don't know yeah the
0: chief was a very lame character
1: and (laughs) yeah and then looking back like did uh, Adora ever want to try and kill Emma like she did Miriam? Or is she just trying to like make her more sick so she could get more guilt from the rest of the town? Like, What was her end goal like, with Amma? And... Yeah, I don't know. I felt like there were a lot of open ends that made you think a lot more after the show had ended. But then there were also a lot of good ones too. Like, I completely forgot about that scene where... Um, Camille followed Emma to the hog farm and then like adora I mean, Emma sort of just like snuck around and then paid somebody money and then like they went off and did something and then that comes back to the bike or maybe that has something to do with pulling teeth. So I, it made a lot of sense when you said he needed another, uh, run through to have a better grasp on it, Ryan. And that makes sense. But then there are also parts that kind of infuriated me that probably would happen again. (laughs) It left a few questions
2: unanswered, like you said. I, I feel like the pig farm thing that they kept alluding to, I don't really 100% understand that plot line. So I get that, definitely.
0: So anyways, do we want to get under our rating? I guess I'll start. I'll give this a 6 out of 10, I think. It was, I guess, five five 5.75 out of 10. I think the ending was good enough to justify like rewatching the last two episodes, but everything in like the first six episodes, maybe out of a few scenes to me was pretty forgettable and is something that like will make me never want to go rewatch it again. But I can't say that until I do rewatch it. But for a first viewing, I will give this a 5.75 out of 10.
2: I'll go second here. I got in my notes. I have a six and a half out of 10 for it. And the one thing I had in my head the entire time when I wrote down kind of a review here, the first line I had was it at least has a stronger female lead than true De- true detective season two. So I kind of, that was my big <laughs> takeaway from it was at least she's a lot better than Andy Bezzaretti's was.
0: Ben, what's your rating?
1: I mean, yeah, I think that the production was done very well. Uh, The performances were nice, but I just had problems with the script. Uh, I thought that a lot of the characters were kind of despicable. And I was interested and wanted to see where it would go, but man, did it take its time to get there in the first place. So I'm going to be giving it a 5 out of 10.
0: So we've been having some technical difficulties with... Alex's internet connection and microphone over, I don't know, the last hour or so. And after an hour or so of fighting, we're just going to stop the count. We're going to stop trying and we're going to concede this podcast to just me, Ben and Ryan. But it's time for the exciting part of the show and too bad Alex has to miss out on this because we, for the first time ever on the Turbo Team podcast, are going to be talking about ABC's hit drama reality TV show The Bachelor. The Bachelor is the single greatest piece of television that is on live TV today. From <laughs> incredible from incredible acting to just a beautiful scenery all over the world into the Stanley House from the Shining. It's just, is it called the Stanley house?
1: Just the Stanley.
0: The Stanley hotel. Yeah. So that's pretty much what this is, except there's 32 women that go to meet one guy at the beginning of a season. And then they battle to the death for his hand in marriage. And this season, the bachelor is Matt James, a former wake forest football player. In a bit, we're going to go over his stats, but Matt is actually the first African American bachelor to ever appear on the show. He actually, so kind of the way it works is usually the bachelor is selected by one of the contestants on the bachelorette, which airs during the summer and vice versa, but Matt actually wasn't and he just applied for it. So that in itself is a little unique, but if you're listening to this part for The Bachelor, I would guess you have some sort of recollection of what is going on, so I'm not going to spend too much time explaining it. But we're going to do a few different segments today for The Bachelor, and the first one we're just going to do is our thoughts on Matt James, The Bachelor, our initial sh- our initial thoughts from the first episode. Once again, we're going to hand this off to our guest, Ryan, for his initial reaction to Matt James.
2: The one thing I had written down for him, because so when they introduce him, he says, I think his profession is a, a commercial real estate developer, I believe is what he said, you know. And yep. I, I wrote down underneath commercial real estate developer, question, is that a job? Also, I feel like anyone who says this is making it up because I always feel like outside of like the Pete thing last year with the, uh, him being a pilot, there's always like some sense of ambiguity with like what people's profession actually is, whether it's, you know, they say they're, you know, quote unquote a model or they are a uh, salesperson or what have you. And I feel like commercial real estate developer is just like one of those like movie terms that's like, Oh, I have a really cool job. But then you like come to find out that he basically just like, works in like rental space or something like that. like, he owns, like, a bunch of storage lockers that he rents out or something. So I always just kind of, like, question what, like, broad titles like that explicitly mean. So that was that was my first takeaway from James. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, he doesn't really help it all that much either because he's just kind of, like, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he could – he has many different sides to him, like, the way he – I mean, like the way he tries to open up the whole event with the prayer, but then he, like, obviously, like, is digging it when, like, things are getting risky. And I don't know.
0: Yeah, this brother's starving for sure.
1: He's starving. (laughs) He's he's anybody. I, uh, I,
2: I think that, like, it seems like he has a lot more, like, a lot more enjoyable of a personality than, you know, a season ago with Pete. I think that people are really going to gravitate towards him and find him to be way more charismatic. And you might find yourself a little bit more invested into his like outcome than the season prior. Cause I feel like by the time everything got towards the end of last season with Pete, it was just for me kind of like, Holy shit. Can we just get this over with? Like, I just want this to end so badly because honestly, I do not care how this ends for you. Like, please just wrap this up. But I feel like from the get here that things are kind of a little bit better of a situation this go around.
0: Yeah, so I will say that Matt is very clearly nervous, mm-hmm. but he he embraces the nervousness. I think like he he was up front from the start. Like this is a very uncomfortable and unfamiliar territory for him, and I I, I think that will help in the long run. I think he's gonna kind of ease his way into the role a little bit more and I think he'll be a pretty solid bachelor. But from the start, like my first impression, it does not seem like he's ready to get married at all. Like there's there's nothing from this first episode that shows that he's gonna get like an emotional attachment to any of these women in the show. But it's it's obviously the first episode. But like even less than like guys in the last like it seems like he's never been in a stable relationship before. And in case you're new to The Bachelor, like Ben is, uh, The Bachelor is not a place to come and find a stable relationship.
1: (laughs) Because everyone's on there for the purest intentions, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) So next, we're going to go to our first impression so in the first episode, The Bachelor will give out his first impression roses to some of his favorites, but today we're going to give our first impression to our favorite contestant on the first episode. <laughs> Ryan, we're going to start you off with uh, the guest, of course.
2: So I think that the one thing that I was trying to decide, and I still have never landed on an answer when it comes to this, is do you go with the gimmick or you do not go with no gimmick? Because there's examples, especially on this one, where gimmicks work. Like uh, I said, with Kaylee bringing the lingerie and her dresses for him to pick, good gimmick that plays. Uh, bad gimmick, MJ with the pizza and having it like kind of blow up spectacularly. Not a great gimmick because now you're just wasting time and you're kind of looking, you know, like you're unorganized. So I go back and forth when I watch that. And like I said, I wish I'd done what I did a year ago, where I power ranked all the you know intros. Um, but I, I always go back and forth on gimmick or no gimmick because it can either go great or it can go very poorly. All that said, I wanted to give my first impression, Rose, honestly, to one of the very first people that we meet, Kristen, the lawyer. Uh, she name-dropped both Cardi B and Meg The Stallion. During her introduction, and so I kind of want to give her my first impression rose on that just because of the fact that, like, if we're going to be talking, I mean, you can just pull references like that off the cuff. I'm oh, in like e- immediately. Also, she's a lawyer, so, you know, she's fairly smart, and has a good head about her. Sign me up for more Kristen.
0: <laughs> Old move. Yeah, Ben.
1: <laughs> OK, well, I didn't come across this as a veteran. I'm not trying to put myself in the mind of a hungry reality TV show alpha male. It was more <laughs> just like, hey, like
0: Nathan Fielder, <laughs>
1: yeah, the hunk. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be the hunk. I was just uh, going off of what I thought, like, was honest, I guess. And I actually like disagreed with you there, Ryan. I thought that MJ's like introduction, like, I thought the fact that like it kind of went wrong and that she did kind of fumble the bag a little bit. Mm. But like had like a somewhat like unique premise and like gave him like, well, like she gave him like the pizza and like, it was kind of like an honest, like an honest sort of way to introduce herself And I thought that that played really well, or at least to me, just because. Like I said, I'm not thinking that other way.
2: <laughs> you could, Well, you could look at it from the perspective of two, I suppose. If you're trying to do kind of the cliche, you know, to use mer- movie terminology here, you could go with like the meet cute sort of situation. And if that's the angle yeah. she's going for, where like if we're talking in rom-com terms and like let's say she's like a 20-something, you know – person who is trying to get her life together and she's delivering pizzas because she's just trying to make ends meet. She shows up on the guy's doorstep to deliver the pizza. Alright, now we've got a bit of a storyline cooking here. Like, you know, that kind of works a little bit in her favor. So I can kind of see the angle that you're saying that plays
1: there. Yeah, if she was playing for it to be enduring, then Mm -hmm. I thought it worked for me. I can get behind that.
0: So I'm going to go with Maggie. Maggie. Uh, from Ethiopia. She didn't get a lot of screen time, mm-hmm. but just with my connection to going to Ethiopia a few times, I stand her from the start. <laughs> uh, she didn't really add anything to the show, so I know that she's probably not going to advance farther than a few weeks. But, just from the sheer fact that she's from Ethiopia, I do have to stand. But I'm also going to give a second honorary rose to Piper, mainly just because of the program max cleveland like that was his pick from the start too and she was just like she seemed like one of the most level-headed people i've ever seen on the show she's from happy valley oregon uh just seems just seems all around solid and but if i know anything about the bachelor it's your favorite never wins maddie pruitt got absolutely screwed last year there's never been there's never been a bigger robbery in any reality tv show than Maddie Pruitt not winning the bachelor last year. That was a tough Thank beat. You. I don't think there's a single soul in the world that didn't want Maddie Pruitt to win.
1: But I'd have to go
2: back and look at my tweets because there's probably an anti-Maddie Pruitt tweet somewhere in my timeline. Oh no! <laughs> if, if I know me, I probably had at least one anti-Maddie take somewhere. I'd have to look, but I could almost guarantee it. So I'll have to dig back and see if I can find it. <laughs>
0: So, we're going to take a spin the other way, and we're going to go on our worst impression, which I feel like this is going to be unanimous, but I think it's going to be fun no matter what, even if we all have the same answer. Ryan, I'm going to see if you're the same person I'm thinking. I
2: had, uh, in my notes, in big, bold letters next to two people, and they both had the exact same thing, and all they said were, nope. And I think uh, it was Anna and Kit were the two that I had written down, and I was like, "Oh no,
3: way whoa. too extra."
0: Let me find a picture of Anna.
1: <laughs> Anna's the really smiling one. She wouldn't I, stop smiling. She was like, "I'm yeah. super bubbly. I drink coffee all the time."
2: I don't know. Uh, I, I had yeah. I had Anna and Kit written down, and I just said it's just too much for both of them. Just way too try hard.
1: How was kids too much? How was Kit too much for you?
2: I don't know. There was just something about her when I was watching it that like I, I don't question my notes. I just I write them down in the moment and then I just that's what I'm sticking with. I get dug in like a tick.
1: <laughs> and then you on def- the internet.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Kit definitely had the aroma that she went to private school growing up. Dad's a doctor, never had to pay for anything in her life, just kind of entitled. But I'm gonna go next. I'm gonna differ with you. And the reason I kind of stand Kit in a way is just because of how much I dislike Victoria, Mm -hmm. the queen who came in on her throne being carried. I feel like this season it's going to set up or it already did like it established a rivalry between the two. And because this is rivalry or rivalry reality TV that's supposed to make money, they're going to keep one of them longer than they probably should be. So I think Victoria and Kit are two girls that we're going to see probably within the last like 5 weeks of the show despite the fact that everyone should hate Victoria because she is easily the worst contestant on the entire show. Just So, first off, we didn't even get to meet a lot of the women because Victoria decided to spend two separate moments with Matt like in the first night which is <clears throat> it's just kind of like an unwritten rule honestly of the Bachelor's <laughs> like it's kind of a gentleman's game in a way where you have to kind of just, I I don't know, make some sacrifices to let everyone get everyone get a chance to talk to him. But instead there was what six girls that had to go home because they didn't even get to meet him for the most part. I think that's just a super pretentious thing to do from the start. And I mean, she calls herself the queen.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean that, that in itself is just enough to like be disliked. So if we're choosing sides, I'm going to choose the side of Kit on this one just because even though she's a little more entitled, her glare towards Victoria when she walked in the room was, for the first time was probably the best thing in the entire first episode.
2: The one thing I will say in defense of Victoria is that as someone who is a fan of someone like Michael Jordan or Jimmy Butler, like myself... The competitive edge that Victoria brings to this where she's like, I don't care about the norm here. I don't care. I'm doing everything I can to game this and take every competitive advantage. You kind of have to respect the hustle a little bit on that. Of like, I, I will step on everyone's skull in order to win this.
1: That's <laughs> a
0: fair point. That that's definitely a fair point.
2: Yeah. There's there's no yeah. rules when it comes to that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you could also see it from the Marcus Moore side of things where <laughs> Ultra still extremely Dislikable
2: yes I can understand That very much Pat Beverly If you will almost where it's like okay we Uh-oh. get it you're the guy that you know you're the Tryhard we got it you don't have to keep going Back to
1: this
3: <laughs> Ben who
1: Who
0: is your worst impression Ben
1: I had a worst impression of the Same person twice and that's because Victoria is awful <laughs> Her <introduction, laughs> where she was carried in and then when she was interacting with the other girls and then stealing Matt, like, what are you doing? I mean, geez, like, I mean, I get that you want to win this thing, but like demanding screen time. And basically that's the only reason why you got a rose and took it away from someone like Alicia who seemed pretty solid, but didn't even have the chance to like talk to Matt man. Yeah. I can't, I can't get over the fact of someone like Victoria being picked over someone like Alicia.
2: I would say Victoria's yeah. bachelor tryouts going super well.
0: I don't think I could watch that. <laughs> I could barely handle her, handle her on screen, but Ryan, I do have to add, uh, you are just a guest and a friend of the program, so we are going to have to thereby declare the Turbo Team podcast as an anti-Victoria podcast.
2: <laughs> That's fine. I can live with that. I'll be the odd man out on that one. That's fine. We can go ahead and do that. Disavow.
0: So we didn't have this in the notes, but I just kind of thought of it just because I think it's it's noteworthy. But what was the best introduction? So there, there were some props as Ryan mentioned, the girl walking in and pretty much just her underwear. There was a girl holding a vibrator walking in. A girl holding the meatballs. Uh, I'm curious as to what you guys think was the best introduction.
2: I, I like I said at the top of this. I always go back and forth on the gimmick or no gimmick situation. Um, I don't know if I had to do just a quick one. Looking at my notes, I think that the uh, Kaylee Khalil Khalil is that what we decided on the name. Um, the one with oh, the truck, Kaylee, Kaylee. However you say her name, the one that showed up with the truck. Oh, with the um, truck. yeah, I think hers ultimately played the best with him, and in, in the capacity of this is not only kind of endearing, but it's also very like down home, and it's very you know it kind of reminds me of my roots a little bit. And I think that one was probably the
1: best of all of them, just in his reaction to it. It adds character for sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, even though I said MJ's before, going off of the gimmick alone, I thought that I agreed with you. Like, the truck was a great one just because, like, yeah, it was very personable. It wasn't too flashy, but it was – it stood out from the other ones. And even they, like, even came back to it. Like, uh, Matt and Chris, like, moved the car or whatever at the end of the episode. So that, like, gave even more, like, screen time or – more of an impact to Matt probably after they did all that with her gimmick.
2: Yeah. Cause I think that's the big thing about like doing the gimmick is like you want to stand out and be memorable, but like you can also easily overdo it for like the wrong reasons, like standing out and being memorable because you showed up with a plastic penis in your hand is not the reason why you want to stand out. Like you want to stand out cause you remind them of something that like brings like good memories and like things that are, you know, like positive positive not make him feel insecure because you've got a plastic dick in your hand.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't know. Some people would like to be remembered by that, but
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm, not yeah, yeah, I'm not. That's not how i want to be remembered, I guess.
0: So, I actually I'm disappointed. I thought we would have d- differing answers. I I agree. I thought that the truck was the best intro. So just to counter it, I'm going to go with the what I thought was the worst, which was the girl wearing the the horse hoofs yeah that was just like <laughs> that was painfully like amy schumer like unfunny where i just like <laughs> i did like the lebron james face to the screen just quiet you hear that cricket <laughs> i just thought it was so not funny and it got it got way more screen time than it deserved
2: it definitely was one of those ones too that again, you're going to be remembered for the wrong reasons. Like he's going to associate ugly Hobbit feet with you now for the rest of the time that you're around. And is that what you want to be remembered for?
0: Yeah. If, if she gets eliminated next week, that's exactly what you can look back on as, mm-hmm. as the indicator to why
2: she, she deviated finally, from the eight play script.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and finally we're going to give, not our favorite, but our early prediction as a winner off of just one week. So fast forward to, what is it, first or second week of March when the, when the show is over. We're going to fast forward to then, who is your best guess to who's going to win the entire show? Ryan, we're going to start with you.
2: I did the wrong thing here and hit the Bachelor subreddit real quick just to kind of look over the things that I was saying and what other people were saying. And it seems that the general public, or at least the consensus, is Rachel is the frontrunner, which I didn't really see that from, like, their interaction. But, I mean, I want it to be Victoria because I love a good villain.
1: <laughs> Ooh. Man. That's bold! I got to run the other side of that coin then because, <laughs> I honestly I had Kaylee, the one with the lingerie, and Kit mm-hmm. on there because of the screen time that they had. And because of their glowing personalities, yeah, yeah, that's Wanna what it was. Yep.
0: Want to expand on that?
1: <laughs> I was
2: a. Uh, I, I would put Kaylee in the top three for sure. I could definitely yeah. get. I could get behind that
1: sentiment. Yeah, <laughs> I could really get the behind sentiment. that sentiment of her for sure. <laughs> yeah, the sentiment. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> So the exact reason that you guys added for the best entrance, I'm going to go with Kayla. I thought that the yeah. personal connection from a start, like that is a huge advantage to carry into at least the top five. And I'm just going to pick off of that where if you're in that, you've got a good enough shot. She seems very mentally stable. She doesn't seem like she's going to have a uh, Victoria B like exit on the show last year where mm-hmm. uh, we can ruins it for everyone. Uh, I I think Kayla is a very safe pick to win it all. But obviously, I mean, there's 32 women to choose from and her personal connection, the hometown connection, that in itself is going to be why I've choose that. But it's going to be a blast to be able to follow this all all year long. Every Monday night, I, I cannot wait. I love The Bachelor and not because of like the quality of TV. It is just from like an entertainment standpoint.
2: That's it's what just, I always say too. Yeah, it's like
0: watching Family Guy. Like mm-hmm. no one watches Family Guy to like be moved by the plot of it. You just watch Family Guy because you just kind of like I don't know, like to laugh at how some how funny it actually is. But
2: I've always equated it to like I'm such a big fan of the NBA, and I love pettiness and I love drama. And, like, it's just a perfect thing for me. It's, like, it's, that's, and there there is a bit, there's a lot of gamesmanship to it, as you said. And there's a lot of, like, just backdooring, conniving, you know, things like that. And it fits so well in the wheelhouse of, like, my NBA fandom, you know?
0: Oh, of course. And I think, like, another aspect of it is the best, when you think of, like, the best nights in NBA history, you don't even think of, like, the games itself. You think of, the night where Chris Paul took his team through the underground tunnels <laughs> into the other team's locker room to start a fight or you think when Mark Cuban locked or not when Mark Cuban when uh, Steve Ballmer locked DeAndre Jordan in his house to force him to sign an extension <laughs> with the like those nights just full of NBA drama on Twitter are so much more forgettable than like when the Clippers or when the I guess when the Clippers blew through 3-1 lead or when the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. But from just like a pure drama and ridiculous like, uh, <laughs> like drama standpoint, The Bachelor is a phenomenal entertaining show.
2: Absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to recap The Bachelor talk, there it is. We'll be back every single week for probably not that long of a segment. Probably like five, ten minutes each week, just recapping the episode. But to wrap things up tonight with our tradition, we are going to give Ryan the floor with his top five movies, starting at five, going down to one.
2: Got it. At number five, I have the infamous Ridley Scott film Alien. It is one of my favorite films of all time. I have the box set of the original four Alien movies. Um, I really like that one a lot because it's essentially a sci-fi movie that's also a slasher film. And I just think it's a ton of fun. And every time I watch it, I'm just like, man, this is just such a great, you know, it's just such a fantastic movie to watch. Like, I don't know why I constantly go back to it, but I just find so much fun in just the plot of that movie.
3: Hmm.
0: It's been a long time since I've seen the Alien movies. I watched those in middle school.
2: Yeah, I love them so much. And, like, I could, honestly, I could swap that out for another great Ridley Scott movie, Blade Runner, in there and be fine with that as well. But Alien, just, there's something, like, atmospheric about it and just, like, the tension of, like, the monster, you know, this this slasher being, you know, this alien creature. So I really enjoy that. Um, At number four, I have the sequel to Fistful of Dollars for a few dollars more. Uh, big fan of Spaghetti Westerns. I've always enjoyed them. I grew up watching those. I don't know how super familiar you guys might be with any of Sergio Leone's movies, but it was the sequel to Fistful that they made that had Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef in it, both playing bounty hunters chasing down the same person. And it has a fantastic soundtrack that I listen to all the time when like, I'm either you know working on a blog post or just writing in general, but it's one of my favorite ones to listen to.
0: Or when you get your own hit to do,
2: yes, mm-hmm. that's, that's true. A, yes, it is. And uh okay. More just a fa- fantastic Western, you know, um, score person. Just like the whistles and the guitars and everything, it's just amazing. Like, yeah, he's fantastic for that. Uh, at number three, I know Jake and I share this one. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, yeah I grew up uh watching Star Wars as a kid, as most do, and I remember we had the first six movies in a box set, and I just there's something about Empire that will always hold a place in my heart.
0: The box set God's intention of Star Wars
2: yes, that's true, and I have not bought the <laughs> nine disc set so <laughs>
0: before George Lucas got his hands on him with the special effects
2: yes they uh, I do it's a great and like that's one of those ones too where my brother and I would watch like we'd go on long car trips and we'd always bring that box set with us because it just killed so oh, yeah. much time uh, number two I have Pulp fiction because I think I've probably really? seen that movie oh man I'd have to guess somewhere in the 50s. In my lifetime? I think I watch it <laughs> at least once a month.
3: Uh,
2: yes. I, I love I could, that movie. Go ahead.
1: I'm saying, i saying, saying, just real quick, I can see that totally because then I'll I'd I often jump into it just because I want to check out a specific storyline. Mm-hmm. Out of like that's seven or so and then i end up just watching the whole thing
2: <laughs> it's it's the my, my major gripe with it and the one thing that i always complain about is it falls so flat during the scenes of bruce willis and his girlfriend it just drives me nuts during those scenes yeah i i can't stand that part but like in the great the, the one thing that i hate about that too is like it's during my favorite storyline because like you open with chris or you open with christopher walken doing the gold watch speech and, you know, it ends in the pawn shop. And it's like everything in there is so great, except for the Fabio parts. You're just like, I wish I could cut her out of this movie entirely because this sucks so much and it drags it all down.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh,
2: and then at number one, my all-time favorite film that features my favorite scene in movie history is Goodfellas. I've seen it easily over a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i love good yes
2: i agree jake i could probably do a full two hours with you on goodfellas
0: first episode ever of the turbo team podcast actually was a goodfellas review
2: Was it Don't really? go i mean yes yeah. i love it
0: not not the best episode but goodfellas
2: <laughs> is the i'm the, the
0: uh, that you are pulp fiction is where i just like I'll just kind of get the niche to watch like a scene from Goodfellas on YouTube, and then I'll end up watching like the entirety of Goodfellas all on YouTube, like out of order, just because like it, <laughs> like there's there's twenty scenes in that movie that I could just go back and rewatch at any time of day, and always just just like enjoy watching. It's so good.
2: It's one of those ones that I. I do it constantly, too. I have, like, the old DVD of it where I have to, like, flip it over um, halfway through, like, after they kill Billy Bats because the movie won't fit on one side of the DVD. So, like, that's how long I've had it, like, on disc. Um, So I I, I don't know how I haven't worn it out at this point either. But I still remember I had the Goodfellas poster in college. Like, I was all about it. Like, that movie, to me, is so perfect. The Copa scene – from beginning to end when Henry walks out of the car and they go through the kitchen and, like, they're talking to everybody and it's all the single take. Like, it's just a cinematic masterpiece. That and then Billy Batts' death scene are my two favorites from that film.
0: Yeah, just the, <laughs> the image of Robert De Niro kicking and punching at the same time.
2: Yes, it's, it's, it's like so that- Fantastic. It doesn't hit as well in 2019 in The Irishman as it did back then. You know, he's a little older than that. That The scene in The Irishman where he's beating the guy up in the street definitely is not going to age well as far as film history goes.
3: No. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, I think that brings it pretty full circle. We want to thank Ryan again for joining, and we want to not thank Alex for...
1: Uh, leaving.
0: ...consistently <laughs> in leaving, Yeah. So Alex quit the Turbo Team podcast. You you heard oh, no. it here first. Oh, no, uh,
1: reporting it first.
0: <laughs> our fans will now be more loyal. But now we're we're hoping that Alex will be back next week in figuring out these Wi-Fi issues. Actually, we should be in person. But nonetheless, we want to thank Ryan for joining us to kind of announce the partnership between the Turbo Team podcast and Around the Corn. Go check them out at is it just Around the Corn Pod?
2: dot com yeah, is the website and yeah you can find us on twitter at that same handle too
0: yes yeah, to go check them out uh go check out some of their interviews they just had dylan saner former iowa state tight end on last night and they've also had tyrese albert nba future all-star they do awesome stuff over there so we just want to thank ryan again for coming on and uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the turbo team podcast we hope you to- Episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to.